everybody, this is Lori and I am the founder and CEO of a company called Inclusivity and also the author of a new book, You Can Save the World. And the book and the um, company are really devoted to sustainable living and creating a future where everyone thrives. And this is our podcast, Inclusiva Talks Sustainability. And we tend to have on creative people and people who have um, jumped into the sustainability field and are really doing things to make the world better for all of us. And we are very fortunate today to have Sean McBride. It's his second, the second um, in the series of his podcast. So it's his second podcast. And um, Sean's been talking to us. If you missed yesterday's or if you missed the last podcast with Sean, please go back and listen to it. He was talking to us all about how he got from working in um, Thailand and doing some nonprofit work there to flying a plane and doing work in Antarctica and actually becoming a superhero for Antarctica. So Sean, thank you so much for sticking, sticking around and doing a second episode. My pleasure, Laurie. So we kind of ended with the story of what you're doing next, which is you've just learned to fly. Your goal is to fly an electric plane from Antarctica to the North Pole? No, from uh, the coast of Antarctica to the South Pole. Oh, sorry, to the South Pole. So um, that's fascinating. And it sounds like the re reason for that is to bring more information about Antarctica out to people to help people to sort of defeat the myths that are out there about Antarctica yes. to explain what a beautiful place it is. Yes, and also to show the capability of renewable energy, exactly. uh, which, which actually is, is happening in Antarctica already. I mean, a lot of places there have wind and solar mm -hmm. uh, because it cuts down on the amount of diesel that they have to bring in. Uh, and some, one, of the, one of the bases, um, Queen, Queen Elizabeth, the Belgian base, Queen Elizabeth, I think it is, is, uh, is totally sustainable. Oh, that's... Totally powered by um, solar and wind. Well, that, that's terrific. That's perfect. That's what we want to save Antarctica and the rest of the world. So that makes exactly, a lot yeah. of sense. What, so what, I, oh, sorry. go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, what people don't realize is that what we do here affects Antarctica. Mm -hmm. And what happens in Antarctica affects here because Antarctica drives much of the world's weather. Uh, and has a lot of impact in a lot of places that people don't realise. So if we mess things up here with climate change and it impacts on Antarctica, it will feed back on us and make things worse. So we need to start taking this seriously and start doing something about it. And, you know, your book about um, how you can save the world. Well, I'm all about empowering people to take their own action, to do things, you know, rather than sit back and go, Oh, it's all going to end, or it's it's um, or you know the other side of things that oh, it's all rubbish. It doesn't, nothing's going to happen. You know, yeah. um, it's already happening, so people just don't realize it. But sorry, go. On. No, I was just I, I just wanted to say that that's exactly what the book is about. Is that each of us, if we take responsibility and say we can do it, then together we will do it. That that Absolutely. we all have to believe we are superheroes. We all have to believe that we have that superpower to create the world that we want to live in, in 
all aspects from the environment to social to economic. Um, it's all important and we, we need that for the future to survive. Totally agree. Totally agree. So uh, I would, I, oh, go ahead. Yes. Yeah, yeah, you go. Um, what I wanted to say is, and then you can say whatever it was you were going to say, but I wanted to ask if you could just tell us, um, before we move on to other pieces of this, um, I'd like to know if you can tell us the first time you, you arrived, what was that like? Because, because you said in the last episode that it was really a transformative experience and that people's lives are changed by going to Antarctica and sort of realizing the vastness of the world and <clears throat> that we are just a small part of it. So I'm wondering if you have a story, either about the first time you came or an, at some other point that sort of de demonstrates that for us. Uh, well, two, two stories really. Uh, I, was, <clears throat> I was in a uh, Hercules aircraft flying to Antarctica. Uh, we'd, actually, we'd actually had six, I think six tries to get there because the weather is notoriously uh, unstable, not unstable, but unpredictable. And so we, we ended up um, getting down to within, you know, we could see the sea ice out the windows of the plane. And we were only maybe two hours from landing. And they did this, which means the weather's deteriorated. We're going back. So we spent 10 hours on a plane to nowhere, basically. We left from Christchurch, went five hours, turned around, came back. And we did that twice. So I think it was probably the, the last time as we actually looked like we were going to make it because they brought in a, uh, a, an American Air National Guard LC-130 Hercules, which has skis on it. Mm -hmm. And we were actually over the Antarctic continent. And I looked out the window of the plane and it was... Uh, and I thought I was looking at cloud because it was so bright and I didn't have my sunglasses on and I put my sunglasses on and then I realized that it was it was the continent it was mm. ice it's an entire continent of ice virtually it's like 99.82 percent yeah. ice with only a few patches of rock sticking out and it was so dazzlingly beautiful that it just struck me mm -hmm. and I and it, it, it's hard to explain um, how <laughs> yeah. and, and the thing about beauty is that you want to protect it don't you you don't want to see it lost yeah and then we um we continued on and we landed and there was just such a sense of relief getting out of that plane and being hit by the the cold Antarctic air, and it's the cleanest air on the planet. It is just, it's just brilliant. And it's so clear the air that something that looks like it's about 50 kilometers away, uh, sorry, something that looks like it's about five kilometers away will actually be 50 kilometers away. And sometimes people can see 300 kilometers away. It's just um, partly because of there's illusionary effects there too, because of the air and whatever. Um, but I remember getting out of the plane and uh, I think I kissed the snow because we were just so happy to get there after six tries. And that, that was our last chance. We were only give it, getting one more chance to get there. And we got there and 
the Ross Ice Shelf, if you think of it, if, I don't know, if you know much about it, but the Ross Ice Shelf is, is basically a flat ice shelf that sits on the ocean, it's connected to Antarctica, and it's the size of France. So it's this huge, massive ice field. Mm -hmm. And we camped on it for a week. And perhaps one of the, the best experiences for me, because I'm very interested in the history, was that the, the original huts from the, the heroic age of Antarctic exploration, which was from about 1897 to 1922, mm -hmm. they're still there. You know, they're 20 years old and they've still got everything in them, not everything perhaps, but they've got most of the stuff in them that was there when Robert Falcon Scott first went to Antarctica or Shackleton went to Antarctica wow. or Griving. You know, the, the, the only uh, first dwelling on any continent uh, that still survives is Borchgrevink's hut in Antarctica. Wow. 1899, he, he went there and uh, the hut's still standing um, at, at uh, where is it? Cape Adair, I think. Anyway, so these huts are still there and they're preserved. You know, the, the, there are various organisations that preserve them, look after them. So there I was, I've been reading about all this stuff for so long. And then here I am in, in the, the discovery hut that's basically, you know, 115 years old or something like that. And there's, there's clothing and cans of food and, and all this kind of stuff. It was just, for me, just a highlight, just a, yeah. I can't put it in the words. It was just brilliant. And, and I have to point out, you know, that where I was, which is the Ross Ice Shelf, that is not the spectacular part of Antarctica. I mean, it's pretty, pretty impressive. But this peninsula where all the cruise ships go, that's the really spectacular part. But even so... Uh, the Ross Ice Shelf was pretty amazing. And in the background is uh, Mount Erebus, which is the most southern active volcano in the world. Mm -hmm. And one of the few that actually has a lava lake in it. And that was, that was probably about 50 kilometres from where we were camping, but it looked like it was five kilometres away. One day I thought, oh, I could probably walk there. <laughs> Realistically, no. Um, it, and, and the other thing is that, you know, Antarctica is a dangerous place. Many people have died in Antarctica. Uh, you can fall into crevasses. You can get frostbite. You can uh, die of the cold. You can, there are accidents. You can, well, lots of things can happen, you know. And uh, I guess that heightens the experience because you know that you're in a place that is dangerous. And then I often relate to these early explorers who were the most remote people on earth at the time. No one was coming to save them. They had to rely on their own uh, wits and strength and character to get them through because they would be down there for a couple of years. It wasn't just like, you know, a, a five-day voyage or something like that. And that kind of comes back to, to things like your book, you know. They were empowered. They survived Antarctica in very harsh conditions because, you know, the, the coldest temperature on Earth has been recorded in Antarctica. It was almost... Minus, minus 90 degrees Celsius. And I can't tell you what that is in Fahrenheit, but it's cold. I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit, but it's cold. It's really, really cold, you know, really cold. And they survived it through their own grit and determination and by being proactive. And so it's the same thing with your book, you know. We can change things on this planet 
if we actually are proactive, if we just do. Yeah. Yeah. I want to back up before I ask you, I'm, I'm going to ask you about um, sort of your philosophy, your driving force, but I just want to back up and say one of the things I love about your story um, about Antarctica, and I love how emotional you feel about it, because one of the challenges, we did a sustainability challenge in February where for 28 days we gave people a small thing they could do to live a more sustainable life. And one of the things that we, um, we asked people to do was to go outside and find really think about finding their holy place. Like where is it that feels holy to them? And that's what Antarctica sounds like to me when you talk about it. So yes. it sounds like that place that touches your soul, makes you glad you're alive, makes you feel connected to the universe and makes you want to protect this world. Yes, you feel I, hadn't so thought of it. I hadn't thought of that in those terms, but yes, that's, that's okay. absolutely right. Um, and I think that that that's and what I like is that you specifically said um, you want to protect things that are beautiful to you. You want to protect things that you feel that that physical and emotional and spiritual connection to. And that's why I think for all of us, we can find a place like that in the natural world. For me, it's trees anywhere. There are trees. Mm -hmm. It's my that is my holy place um, for other people. It's the water. And so I think I, I love that. I love that story because it fits in so well with that sustainability message and taking care of yourself as well. It's important for us to be connected to our holy places. Absolutely. And, you know, everyone has a different one. You know, yeah. it may not be Antarctica for everyone. Yeah, uh, absolutely. But I, think, I, but I think Antarctica has a more visceral impact than a lot of places. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds... It sounds startling it sounds beautifully startling oh it is it's yeah it's magnificent so looking back over your life and and where you are now what would you how would you sort of define oh just your driving force what moves you forward what 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 propels you mm. i guess uh I guess it's really, you know, my, my big thing for most of my life, even when, since when I was a small child, well, not small child, say from about the age of 12, mm -hmm. was that, that question of why am I here? What am I here to do? What's my purpose? And I, I realized now that that is a, that's a huge issue for most people yeah. um, on the planet. Uh, not everyone thinks that way, but a, a very large percentage of people, I believe, have do not have not found a purpose. Mm -hmm. And what I did uh, during during COVID was I set up a group. I, I realised that there were a lot of men out there um, hurting uh, and and lost, and so I set up this group called the Mammoth Hunters Club. The idea being that the, you know the idea of the elephant in the room. Well, I thought a mammoth is kind of appropriate. It's the mammoth in the room is that um, a lot of men are suffering from uh, mental health issues, you know, depression, uh, all that kind of thing. And, and, you know, we're starting to talk about it, but not, not as much as we probably should. So I set this group up for men to talk about those things and to uh, the, the, the byline of it was the Mammoth Hunters Club, um, Purpose, Tribe, Adventure. 
And I think those are the three things, especially, you know, it could be for women as well, but obviously I relate more to men being male. Uh, but I think those are the three things that are generally missing in men's lives nowadays. They, they don't have a purpose. They don't have a tribe that they can relate to. There are a lot of lonely men out there and they don't have enough adventure in their lives. And so what I was doing was encouraging them to find these things. I was running meetups and different things, encouraging them to find these things for themselves and making our tribe a tribe for them yeah. until they found you know, perhaps another tribe that suited where their interests in that were. And I encourage them to find adventure in, in small ways, you know, like just go to a park you haven't been to before, go exploring. Because I think it's a strong urge in humans to explore, to expand their um, knowledge of the world. Uh, and so that was, that was quite successful. I mean, I've kind of moved away from it now because I've gotten involved so heavily with my flying and all the rest of it i've let other people run things but i guess the the underlying thing for me has been finding purpose in life and when i went to thailand to rescue those kids i found purpose and in helping other people and fulfilling a purpose that i'd set for myself i also found at right angles to that, that I became happy. Uh, you, you know this term precession? Have you heard this from Buckminster Fuller? About the bee, the bee flies to, the, um, to get the uh, nectar from the flowers and the bee thinks, well, that's, that's my job. That's what I'm doing. I'm getting the, the nectar from flowers. But at right angles to that, they're pollinating the world. Right. So it's often... It's often that when we pursue something like happiness on its own, that we don't find it. But when we pursue something else, happiness comes as a byproduct. And that's what happened for me with rescuing the kids in Thailand. Uh, and, and that's what's happened with, with Antarctica. I just had a, such a strong interest in it and I read as much as I could in that. And then when I went there, it, it changed the direction of my life to now focus on Antarctica and get more involved in the environment even though i'd always been involved to some degree um and so i think i think that if if anything else what i'm trying to do is to inspire people mm -hmm. inspire people to to follow a path that may not be a mainstream path to follow something that resonates for them yeah. in their life and uh you know, uh, I remember, you know, years ago I did, did training with Robert Kiyosaki and one of the questions that he asked people, which I thought was really helpful and hopefully some of your viewers might get something from it as well, is that you ask yourself three questions. The first question is, uh, if suddenly tomorrow I, I won $15 million a year, every year for the rest of my life, on one condition that I don't have, to, I don't work, I don't have to work. And you wouldn't obviously, cause you'd have all that, that money, I suppose, unless you really liked your job. Uh, and the question was, what would you do? And of course people say, well, I'd buy, I'd buy five houses and I'd, I'd travel and I'd buy a Ferrari and whatever it might be, whatever their interests are. But after you've done all that, mm -hmm. what would you do? Because there are a lot of rich people out there who are unhappy and a lot of rich people who are lacking purpose. 
So the question is, what would you do if money wasn't the issue? Right. And, you know, I started up the Gray Man charity without any cash. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, but by the time I left it, I think it had, um, I think we'd raised about almost half a million dollars, you know? And so you don't have to have money to do stuff. You can just go do it anyway. And the second question was, what would you do if you found you only had six months to live? And of course that narrows everything down. That's when you start to see what's really important in your life. Um, and it, it, the, the answers to that may be very different to the, from the answer to the first one. Mm-hmm. And the final question was, what would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? Because a lot of the reason why people don't do things is because they're afraid of failure. And I've failed many things. And I don't even think about it. I just fail and get up and go and do something else or continue to do it until I don't fail. So I think um, hopefully the answers to their questions will help people to kind of coalesce what's really important to them. And uh, if, if anything, I think finding a purpose that's right for you is probably the greatest thing you can do in life. And whether you're, you're religious or not, you know, my, my feeling is this, that, that, that God hasn't said, this is your purpose. There's a purpose for you and this is it. If there is a God, he's given you free will. And the beauty of that is you can choose. You can choose what your purpose is going to be. So you're not constrained by someone else's view. It's just what resonates for you. What, what will make you wake up in the morning and go, yes, today I'm going to do this. Mm-hmm. So I suppose if, 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 I have a, uh, if I have a message, it's, it's that, that you can choose the purpose for your life. Well, what's great about, about that is that it sounds like that's your driving force, but also exactly your advice to others is choose your purpose and then live it. Exactly, exactly. And- and I wanted to say that I'm a geriatric psychologist in my other in the other half of my life, and um, I do find that psychology often plays into everything I do. So it you know it's followed me into inclusivity and the writing the book and and my just my personal life too. But one of the things that is the best way to fight depression is to look outside yourself. Depression, oh, as you know, absolutely. pulls you in. It it focuses you internally, and so the more you can reach out and do something for somebody else, the bet that it helps. Doesn't make it magically go away, but it helps. And, and that's, I think that's great advice in itself because it, when you're depressed and I've had many bouts of that through my life, it, it's, it becomes a, a, like a replaying a, um, a record in your head and it's just continuous. But if you take that effort to just step out and do something for someone else, because they've done, you know yourself, They've done all the research that shows that when people help other people, mm-hmm. they feel happier. Yeah. So it's counterintuitive, isn't it? You think, oh, well, if I concentrate on me and getting what I want, then I'll be happier. But there's lots of examples of that not working. Yeah. But often you go the other way and suddenly at right angles, as I was saying before, suddenly you start to feel happy. So a focus of inclusivity has been kindness as well as sustainability and justice. And 
all the kindness research says exactly what you just said, that, that when you are kind or you witness acts of kindness or kindness is done to you, all three of those things are actually sort of fundamental in making us better people and also mm. increasing our happiness. So it's, it's really important. And I think taking care of the earth is a kindness. Noticing oh, other people is a kindness. So I think that there are all sorts of ways to sort of live that and, and create the future we want because that's it. That, you know, we have to take care of ourselves in order to do that. But part of taking care of ourselves is noticing others. Absolutely. And reaching out. So that's and, and even if even if you look at it as, as a vested interest, you know, it, it makes sense to look after the planet because we're on it. Yes. We, you know, and we are. I, I was reading you you probably know this yourself that they estimate now that we have every person has about a, a credit card sized amount of plastic in their bodies. Mm. You know, that kind of craziness has to stop. You know, and, and we're the ones we're the ones that are doing it so we're the ones that can stop it yes i agree so i um would love to have you we regularly do sustainability challenges i think we're doing the next one in the summer or fall and i will probably reach out to you at that point and see if you'd like to issue a challenge or be engaged in some way with us okay um, that's great that's, I'll, I'll have a think that's about terrific. Yeah. We, would, we would love to have you um and I want to end by saying, is there another story from your life that you would like to tell us? You're a good storyteller and you've told us several, but is there another one that you'd like to end on? Anything you can think of? Um, well, since this is the second podcast, I'll just show people this is my Captain Antarctica suit. Excellent. Right? So they know, they know that uh, I'm, I'm committed enough to run around in a, in a silly suit <laughs> to get my point across. Perfect. Um, but, uh, you know, one, one of the, uh, you, you know, you asked asking before about the things that were, um, or the guiding principles in my life or whatever. Well, I think one of them is to leave a legacy uh, and find purpose and all the rest of it. But I, you know, I've been meditating for many years in, in Zen. Um, and I've been to Japan quite a number of times. My wife is Japanese. And a few years back, Again, I was going through a, uh, a difficult time. I think this was, I think this was when the charity kind of folded, okay. and uh, I felt like my kind of reason for being had been taken away. And you know, it was causing dramas between me and as well. And I, I, uh, we decided we were going to go our separate ways, uh, which was which was sad because you know we really cared for each other, but I just felt like I, I just wasn't going in the direction I wanted to go. And so I'd been meditating for many years and I went out onto our veranda. This was just after, very, very soon after we decided we were going to go our separate ways. And I'm reading that book by Eckhart Tolle, uh, I think A New Earth, I think it was called. And something about it, I mean, I, I know it has the ability to impact people in unusual ways, but I was reading that book and suddenly, my ego just departed from me. Just, just it didn't go away completely. They're a, they're a difficult thing to get rid of. You can't really get rid of them. Um, it just, it moved away from me, just like went off to the periphery somewhere. And suddenly the world just opened up and I went, oh my God. And I saw myself as this, this 
kind of like a like a bundle of energy and i realized at that time this this experience only lasted for probably five ten minutes and i realized that um we are immortal we are endless beginningless endless always here always have been always will be um and that this in that moment when you're in that moment or in this moment at any time it is absolutely perfect. The world is perfect. Um, it's just beautiful. And I was looking around, it was just on dusk and I was looking around and everything was just beautiful. And it's, it's, it's hard to explain. And then gradually, gradually, <laughs> so I was kind of going, no, as my ego sort of came back in. I said, no, I don't want that. I want the other bit. And, um, and it just, that experience just changed me. And I went inside to my wife and I said, you're not the problem. And that was, oh, I don't know. That was probably six years ago. Wow. And we're still together and we're probably the happiest we've ever been. So um, I guess I guess that's an unusual experience, but I would, I would suggest to people that they seek enlightenment. And if they don't achieve it, just realize that this is not the end. There's much more out there than we recognize. I think, I think that's beautiful. And I think if we can remember that we are all, we're just part of this energy, we're part of this never ending cycle. Um, I think it does make, it makes you again, want to protect everything because we're all so interconnected. Exactly. We're all exactly. part of this amazing life, amazing whole. So um, beautiful story. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. So Sean, it has been a tremendous pleasure to have you here. Is there anything now when I post the um, podcast, I'll make sure to post any links to anything that you want people to know about so that people can kind of follow you. But is there anything else you'd like to say before we say goodbye? No, that's probably it. I mean, I think people just need to follow their path and it might take a little while to find that. But um, yeah, I think it's, and, and I guess that if I was going to say anything, I think the thing I would say is like, just take action. Just take action. You know, we, we let a lot of things get in the way, but the way to get anything done on this planet is to take action. Yeah, yeah that would be that very much. We did not talk about this, but I always like to throw in at the end, if I've talked to someone um, who's focused on sustainability, that you've also led a life that's incredibly creative. And one of the things that we've noticed during the podcast is that, you know, creativity and sustainability are, everybody seems to have both in their lives. And so I would say your, you know, your adventures and sort of leaping to do the things that you were called to do and figuring out how to do that um, shows incredible creativity. So I just wanted to mention that because again, our podcast is really um, about linking the two and talking about the two from different perspectives. So, so thank you for oh, everything pleasure. you're doing. Um, thank you for everything you've done. And I'm, I think we're, we're all very thankful that you're in the world with us. And oh, so, so thank you for that. And, this uh, and, and, and thank you. Thank you for this, for this podcast. I mean, you're out there in the world 
letting people know about these things. And it takes people like you to actually spread the word and make a difference. So this has been Inclusive Talks Sustainability, and we'll be back with another episode um, soon. So thank you, Sean, for being here. My pleasure. Thanks, Laurie. If she's a mountain